This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash view. Hey, everybody, and welcome to Enjoy the View. I'm Ben Hong, and today on our panel, we have Chris Fritz. Hi. And Elizabeth Fine. Hi. And today, our topic is on the View CLI, which many of us know and love. So Chris, what is the View CLI for those of us that haven't used it as much? So the View CLI is an officially maintained project by the View team that helps you start new projects and also maintain those projects. So, you know, like one classic example of, you know, something involved in a lot of big view projects that can be kind of a pain sometimes is like managing webpack configurations and and writing those and it's just like a, a whole other set of skills that I consider completely separate from actually developing applications. And in Vue CLI, we try to take managing Webpack configurations and other related skills to just get you a project set up with a great dev uh, developer experience and let you focus on the problems that are specific to your app. And you can manage your dependencies as like Webpack and other projects come out with new updates through just upgrading Vue CLI. And something really nice about Vue CLI is as you upgrade those dependencies, as long as you upgrade them all to the same version, they're guaranteed to work together. Yeah, that's pretty great. Yeah, so the interesting thing is that not all projects are actually built with Vue CLI. I know I've worked on some projects where you actually only import the CDN for Vue. So uh, I don't know about you, Elizabeth, what about your experience with Vue CLI? Yeah, most of the projects that I work on are not built using Vue CLI. They have their own, you know, big webpack configuration, sometimes in combination with Gulp or, you know, multiple build processes together. So I really have a, a basic knowledge of Vue CLI and I find it really useful if you want to spin up a project. Like just this weekend, I decided I wanted to start building a solitaire project because I've been super obsessed with solitaire. And I'm like, okay, you know, you create solitaire app and then boom, I've got Babel, ESLint and a whole build process that works super smoothly. So really, I only use it for, you know, if I just want to get a project up and running really, really fast. And that's exactly what it does. There's, I mean, I want it for a really simple use case and it is really simple to use. So I think it's great. Yeah. And for, for people who like don't want Vue taking over their entire front end for like a quote unquote single page application, it, it might not be the best tool or it can be like a little bit more difficult to bring into your project. And sometimes a little bit more configuration is, is involved to just get it working. It won't work just like out of the box, for example, if you want to integrate it into Rails to like Ruby on Rails, like, like a backend like that, to have it only take care of some views or some parts of some views. But yeah, for, for single page applications, yeah, it works right out of the box and you can just get started, get prototyping, get building. So would you guys say that Vue CLI is pretty extensible and has a lot of flexibility in comparison to, you know, other similar types of CLIs? Yeah, we, we try to strike an ideal balance between not making you think about things that aren't really like your 
concern in the project, but also giving you the flexibility to like change anything you want without giving you power that will become unwieldy so that uh, you just have like a, a complete mess to maintain. So an example of this is there are, there are some like project generators that sometimes don't let you configure anything or, or only let you configure uh, very little, you know, in cases where you want to make some changes to, you know, how your assets build or changes uh, to your development experience. You know, if you want to configure Webpack in some way, or if you want to, you know, change which tools and technologies you're, you're using altogether. You know, if you're using like TypeScript or Babel, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And we have different plugins to allow you to, to use different things to sort of like mix and match like the, the kind of experience that you want. And then also give you access to changing like any part of the configuration so that you never have to completely eject like you never have to just dump out like, you know, abandon view CLI and have it dump out like a full like Webpack config and show you like all of the files that it was using to do all that work under the hood so that you can just edit whatever you want there, you know, which is kind of like an extreme scenario. And then you have like this huge build folder or, or you know, something with a similar name that you have no idea what most of it is doing. It's kind of scary to look at. You know, there's not great documentation on where to go to to change things, to configure things, to add new things. And instead, we we try to make that configuration or keep it very very simple, so that you only ever have to worry about the things that you change from a typical project, and providing relatively few layers of abstraction over the tools that you're using, so that. If you already know how to use Webpack, you don't have to relearn how to use Webpack when it's underneath Vue CLI. Like you can, you can just use Webpack directly if you want without having to maintain the entire Webpack configuration. And you can also see the, the computed Webpack configuration if you want to with commands like Vue Inspect. Yeah, I did not know that, Vue Inspect. And so if you wanted to, um, let's say you were... Uh, Webpack master, and you wanted to extend the Webpack configuration with view C- that Vue CLI gives you, would you use just like a Webpack overrides file to do something like that, or is there a more recommended strategy? Yeah, great question. So there's a, a view.config.js file, and if you want to change something in Webpack, there are, there are two main ways, and that's with uh, the chain Webpack option or the configure Webpack option. And configure just allows you to add the properties that you want to change in the Webpack configuration. And it uses Webpack merge to like merge those two objects together in a very smart way that is aware of how Webpack configurations work. And chain Webpack is a little bit of a more complicated syntax, but is really, really powerful in that it allows you to change like even parts of some values of properties. It's so, so powerful. And control exactly how those changes are made rather than just overwriting something. Gotcha. And there, there's good documentation on both of those in the Vue CLI docs, which also links to like other documentation for Webpack Merge and 
I think it's called Webpack Chain. It's Webpack Chain or Chain Webpack, <laughs> whichever project it is. If you Google one, one of those, it'll take you to the, whatever the real thing is. And they have some good documentation as well. Yeah, I know one of the things I love about the Vue CLI is, you know, obviously just hearing Chris talk, like he has extensive knowledge of Webpack, but that's 100% not required. Like I'm one of those people who Webpack initially was just overwhelming and really hard to just navigate at first. But really Vue CLI, to Chris's point, allows you to easily get in there and just let you configure what you need and get back out. So like a common thing that was really hard to do in the past was you might need your front end to talk to a different port on the back end, but of course you're going to get cores issues, so cross-origin resource sharing issues. And so, you know, with Vue CLI 3, it was as simple as basically dropping in a small config object, you know, that's documented on the site. And once you switch that out, it just passes through just as you want. And you don't have to muck through all the Webpack stuff to get it to work. And things like that are exactly what make life so easy when you are working with Vue CLI. One of the things that I, I, I especially love about, about Vue CLI is the plugin ecosystem. So Vue CLI offers plugins for like a lot of different really common things. So whether you want to use, you know, TypeScript or Babel, there are plugins for those. There are also plugins for like the different kinds of like CSS preprocessors that you might want to use. There are plugins for linting, plugins for testing, unit testing and end-to-end -end testing. And unit testing and end-to-end -end testing for like different unit testing and end-to-end -end testing libraries. You know, so you, you really have like so much flexibility, but can still have confidence that, that you can use all of these, these technologies safely because they are officially maintained. Um, but there are also a lot of like community maintained libraries that are really, really useful. And Ben, I think I, you have like a favorite that, that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, one of my favorites, you know, a lot of um, a lot of times for developers, we need, you know, component libraries. And one of the most popular ones in the Vue ecosystem is the Vuetify uh, component library. And so typically, you know, when you're working on a project, you need to NPM install, save dev, all these different dependencies. But with the Vue plugin, you know, for those who haven't used it, it's really just instead of like Vue create app, you just type view add like plugin name. So it'd be like view add Vutify. And what it does, it not just only installs everything to the dependencies like your package.json and everything, but it actually will oftentimes go a step further. So Vutify will actually like go into your index.html and like include your Roboto, you know, font library, all your material icons. And so it'll configure all those things for you automatically so that and basically, immediately you can get started with very little configuration, which is one of the great things about plugins. Yeah, another favorite of mine is the, the there's an Electron plugin. So if you search for like Vue CLI plugin Electron, <laughs> you'll find it, and and possibly even others. You know, there are, there are always new plugins coming out, and it makes it really easy to just like start a new Electron application using Vue. Like you you have to do, you know, basically nothing to, to start you. You just, you're just there and you can, you can start coding, start building whatever is in your mind. And speaking of which, Chris, have you ever written your own Vue CLI plugin? I, I have. So something that's pretty common, but uh, less common than I think it could be, is companies writing a plugin for the changes to the configuration that are specific to that company. You know, so something that you want to use for all projects and you want to share between projects so that you can like maintain that same development experience. And when you make changes to that development experience, like you can take advantage of that in all of your projects. And it's, 
it's easier than a lot of people think to to write your own UCLI plugin. Like we've we have some 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 pretty good docs on that, Con- contributed especially by Natalia Tapluhina and Gyam from the core team. They've they've both contributed to the the Vue CLI plugin docs to make it like a much much easier than it used to be, and it's it's only gotten better. So can you kind of walk us through the process of start to finish of how you would do that? Like mm. briefly, not, I'm not asking yeah, you to that, like go read out all the docs, but just, I mean, how do you even start creating a view? Yeah, plugin? it might be a little bit complicated, but like you, you only need like a few files and, and depending on what you're, what you're doing, you know, you might not even need all of those, but there, there are different ways in short, there are different ways that you can like hook into what view CLI is doing, depending on what you need to do. You know, so mm-hmm. sometimes you might need to add some dependencies, like in the case where you're introducing a new technology. Let's say you, you know, wrote your own, you know, y- your company for some very strange reason is using its own like CSS preprocessor that it built in house. I hope you're not. Please stop <laughs> if you're doing this. I, I, I don't know. I can't imagine what reason you could possibly have. <laughs> and you know you're you're adding some dependencies you know for that CSS preprocessor, and then you also want to like generate some files when you create a new project, you know to add a configuration for that preprocessor, and you might also want to make some changes to Webpack so that files with a certain extension can like be processed by a specific loader that you've also written for that preprocessor, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So basically you can, I don't know, are, are there like hooks you can call or something to say at this stage during the, the process, you know, run this code or add this to the Webpack config, kind of like that? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And some lesser known, uh, like there are some lesser known tips and tricks for Vue CLI that I, I often wish more people would know because they're, they're really cool. And I think, I think a lot of these are becoming more and more popular. I think that the first one we have to mention is just like Vue CLI UI, which uh, is, yeah. is definitely uh, Guillaume's brainchild. Oh my gosh, I just came across that the other, like yesterday, I think. And so basically the gist of it is you can run Vue CLI, but actually through a user interface in your browser rather than through your terminal. Is that kind of the idea? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, one of the things I know I love about it is that whenever you run like your serve, uh, like local server, it'll actually do like a infographic breakdown of all your dependencies and show you like how big everything is or how long it takes to run on different internet oh my speeds. Gosh. Like you get all this like, stati- like these great stats. How long is this? How long has this been existed? <laughs> I want to say UCLI 3. So. Is, is that part of UCLI 3? Okay. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, wow. I think it was more than that. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, can't believe I only discovered introduced. that yesterday. <laughs> Not as many people are aware of it as should be. Yeah. So yeah. it makes it really easy to do configurations too, because everything's laid out mm-hmm. in like a form instead of like navigating like a gigantic JSON file. It's like you're filling out like a basic web form and it updates. Yeah. And with like a JSON configuration, like oftentimes I'm looking at that and I have no idea like what 
options I can change mm-hmm. or like for a specific option, like what are the possible values? So like, for example, like if you want to output your build files to a different folder than the standard dist, you know, you might have mm-hmm. to go into the docs and look up like which key value you need. But like in the view UI, there's literally a settings page and I'm looking at it right now. There's a form that says output directory, like the directory where build files will be generated. And you can just fill it out, and save, and you're good to go. Yeah. And also for configurations, like for, for ESLint, for example, like you can see exactly what your options are in like a select box. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason we've invented like technologies and like interfaces like select boxes, because it's often useful to know what the right answers are so that you can't just like put in something that breaks. Sometimes invisibly, Wait, you know, so Chris, because it, it just wasn't valid or like you, you entered something that was a typo and it's just not an option, but like the library doesn't look for that option. So it never raises an error to tell you what you're doing wrong. <laughs> and then you just stare at it for days on end sometimes wondering what is going wrong, <laughs> not realizing that you missed an I somewhere. Not that I'm speaking from personal experience. Uh, yeah. That, that can happen sometimes to other people I've heard. And uh, you see how UI can save you from those kinds of mistakes and headaches. And again, keep you focused on actually just building your app. So, so Chris, you don't miss going into ESLint rules trying to say whether it's error, comma, two, comma, always, never. You don't miss doing that? Oh, at, at this point, like... <laughs> I'm pretty good with the general like f- format of that, just through like sheer pain and repetition. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it is it, it is it is frustrating. <laughs> to know. And, and and just because like you you know like the general language of ESLint, like error off one two for some reason. I don't Always. know why they even allow numbers. <laughs> yeah, that's it drives me nuts. <laughs> but like there are a lot of other options that are specific to each specific rule that you would never know what they are without looking at docs. And like the interface with Vue CLI UI like is the docs. Like it, it makes it so that you, you really can't do anything wrong and you can see at a glance everything that you can do. And more, it makes it really easy to explore the plugins and you can install everything directly from the UI so you don't have to go search for like the repo and stuff. Everything's linked directly inside. So it really goes beyond the CLI in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I definitely, more people definitely need to be checking it out for sure. Yeah, another of my favorite uh, tricks beyond the, the UI is modern mode. So this is a, a build flag. And so when you're, when you're running like view build, you can run view build hyphen hyphen modern. And that will create, instead of just one single build, like one single collection of like JavaScript, CSS files and an HTML file, it'll create two separate versions of JavaScript files. One is legacy version, and the other is the modern version. And basically, the legacy version is just for Internet Explorer. And the modern version is for all of the other applications. And what the modern version does is avoid transpiling like the, the features that you're using, the advanced JavaScript features in Babel that uh, like, 
really you can count on being available in the modern browsers like Chrome, Edge, Firefox. And that not only saves you room, like to make your, like saves you space in your JavaScript files so that your JavaScript files are smaller and therefore like, you know, download more quickly and are parsed more quickly. But using the native versions of those features rather than polyfills included with Babel will make it so that those features run faster because the engines can better optimize the native features than a polyfill. And so that's, that's really, really useful. That is so good to know. So then do you need to do anything afterwards to ensure that Internet Explorer always gets the legacy version or nope. does the plugin handle it? just happens automatically. That? Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really neat. So you can still support Internet Explorer without having to like dump a ton of polyfills into your JavaScript just for like sometimes the, the 3% of users that are using Internet Explorer, but those 3% of users, like you can't really let go. Like it's, it's not possible in a lot of businesses to just like say to your shareholders, like, you know, we'd like to cut down on 3% of our profits. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Would that be cool? You know, it would make our developers happy. <laughs> and the answer is of course, no. Right. So th this makes it so that you don't have to compromise. You can, you can make the, the people using the modern browsers happy and the people using Internet Explorer will just get the same experience they would have gotten every, you know, anyway, but not everybody else has to suffer. So hearing that, Chris, I know a common question to this is, why isn't modern mode turned on by default? Then why require a flag for building with modern mode? So it, it's still, you know, it, it is kind of a, a big change and, and it, it started as kind of an experimental idea. I think it very likely will become the, the default eventually. But with something like that, where, you know, it, it works differently from the way that most applications do, you know, we try to be pretty conservative with that. We don't like to surprise users with behavior that they wouldn't expect. Yeah, that makes sense. But it, it's been out for a while now and it's been used by like a lot of different applications and still seems to be working very well. At least I, I don't know of any big gotchas that, that, that we've encountered where, you know, it, it caused some unintended behavior that, you know, caused a problem. So yeah, it, it very likely will be, but yeah, we, we, we like to be conservative. We, we really don't want to like mess up people's apps and then have them wondering like, what the heck happened? What changed? Why is this breaking when it worked before? Yeah, that's not a nice experience. Not at all. And so another lesser known tip and trick with uh, Vue CLI, I know uh, that you, you love this feature in particular, Chris, is commit hooks and linting on pre-commit. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Chris? Oh yeah, I, I, I love linting. <laughs> I am super, super into linting. I like to lint everything. And <laughs> I especially don't like, I, I don't want to be that person like in a code review who's saying like, hey, everything works and looks great. You're just missing a space here. <laughs> so could you just fix that and then we can merge? Like that's so demotivating. Like that, that person probably feels like I'm a complete jerk when I leave that review. And I definitely feel like a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> and I, it I also left that review. And it also wastes time because, you know, what I'd rather, I'd rather talk about in code reviews is 
the things specific to like the application and the architecture that are more interesting and, and more fruitful and like have a bigger impact and on our developer experience. But like eventually you want to merge stuff in. So if you're doing like a few reviews, a few rounds of review with just like those little things, like you're never going to get to the, the actual useful stuff. And so I like to have as much of that done as possible automated and the pre-commit hooks like in, in package.json, do CLI through Yorkie, which is a fork of Husky, adds a Git hook section to package.json where you can list some, some Git hooks like pre-commit. And then it, UCLI also comes with a project called Lint Staged, which allows you to run some commands on any of the files that are staged for commit. So like a common problem with linting, especially as projects get really, really big. Let's say, you know, you're at a point where you have hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of lines of code across like tons of files and the linting the entire project takes a while. But in an individual commit, you're probably not making changes to like hundreds or thousands of files at once. Maybe a dozen, sometimes just a few, sometimes just one. And by only linting the files that are staged for commit, the the process like that that pre pre commit task ends up only taking like a second or two, which doesn't slow people down from making commits. You know, which is a big reason why like people often don't like pre commit hooks because they don't want to wait for like a minute or a few minutes for the pre-commit hook to run to find out whether like test pass and whether like linting worked and stuff like that. So yeah, you can just run linting on stage files and just run unit tests on stage files and basically make it impossible to commit anything in your code base that has a linting error, has some kind of style error, or has a failing unit test with, at least if you use Jest, it has this, this flag called uh, dash dash find related tests which is oh, so awesome. <laughs> Elizabeth, have you worked with commit hooks before? Not really. I just kind of commit and then hope that I've remembered to run NPM run lint beforehand. Otherwise, I have to wait for like 15 minutes to find out that I forgot a semicolon and then start over again. <laughs> so it's probably something I should look into. I was listening to what you're saying, Chris, and Although a lot of stuff I work on doesn't run off of UCLI, but I'm sure there's another way to implement that. I, I recently tried to do that. Oh yeah, um, yeah, it's totally to possible. Up, I recently tried to set up like automatic linting when you save. Although I'm still, it's still not working. I'm still getting linting errors all the time when I when I try to run build. So I need to look into that further and fix it. But <laughs> yeah, I can definitely see the value in it. There's nothing worse than waiting 15 minutes for a build to run to you know check if your change worked just to find out that the whole thing failed because, you know, you left an extra space after a line or something like that. Such a waste of time just, you know, piles up the more and more yeah. that you do that throughout the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And in, yeah. in, Vue, in Vue Enterprise Boilerplate, uh, which uses Vue CLI, I actually have like all of the, the linting configurations that I, I like to use for most projects, along with some documentation on the linting and the projects that are that are used for that linting so that you can see like what you'd have to install if you are implementing these outside of a Vue CLI mm-hmm. project. 
and oh. where to find more documentation to update parts of that configuration. Yeah, cool. Good to know. Maybe we can put that in the. You think we can put that in the show notes? Absolutely. Absolutely. For other people to see too. So mm-hmm. when you this sort of like pre-commit hook you're talking about, will it actually fix the linting errors for you, or it will just report them? Or can you set it up so it fixes the linting errors for you, and then you just have to commit and not do anything? Yeah, I like to have it just like fix things for you. The the linting tools that we have these days like are are often like very very good. You know, they don't make very many mistakes, and when they do make mistakes, like they're they're often fixed pretty quickly as long as you're using projects that are used by a lot of people and the the ESLint plugins that are used and that are used by Vue CLI and by Vue Enterprise Boilerplate are all really really popular. Yeah, that's all the, and so we fix those things automatically, and then you don't you don't even have to know that you made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> And in fact, just the way I can, like it. <laughs> and you can even have people like something beautiful about this is you can even have people like if they disagree on something fundamental, like oh, I like to use semicolons, oh, I hate semicolons, blah, 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 blah. They can both write the code style that they like. And then whatever style that you've chosen will just get automatically fixed <laughs> when they commit. <laughs> so you could just pass it back and forth, both effortlessly changing your coding styles and not even knowing it. Well, I mean, it, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be back and forth, but like, let's say you decided no semicolons, like people yeah. could add like a semicolon if they wanted to, heck, they could add three semicolons that they'd just be stripped out if they're, if they're not actually necessary in that context. Okay. So can I ask, uh, I've got a kind of unrelated question. So some people use semicolons, some people don't use semicolons. And I was recently, because we were talking about view three, I was looking into the view next source code and I noticed there's no semicolons. And is there any reason to use semicolons anymore? I mean, the only thing I can think of is maybe if you're trying to debug or something. Um, oh, I, don't, I don't know if we want to get into this debate. <laughs> <laughs> Should we wait for well, Ari like, for this what's one? The, what's the other side? <laughs> maybe we'll wait for a week when I'm not here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just say, well, so... Yeah, I will. Semicolons yeah. or no semicolons? I will say no semicolons. And, and I actually, I, I will contend that, I will, so, I mean, th- there are some specific cases when like semicolons are necessary. Like, let's say like you're, you're starting a line with just like an opening square bracket, for example, like to define an array and then immediately iterate iterate over it, but you're not assigning that array to a variable or anything. You know, that's a case where you need a semicolon before the array. But the thing is, like, all of the, and there are relatively few cases where you actually need a semicolon, like, the linting can pick that up and tell you that you need a semicolon. So there's actually no reason to add a semicolon just in case. Okay. And then semicolon yeah. or no semicolon? I am no semicolons as well. No, okay, maybe I should change. And now another debate, is it semicolon or semicolon? Because you both say it differently. <laughs> I pronounce it semicolon. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, it's, a very, I don't, it's a divisive topic. I, I grew up in an international school, so like everything just kind of sounds good to me and I just say things kind of weird. Do you say semi-truck or semi-truck? I say semi-truck. Semi-truck. That's why I say semicolon too, but... yeah. I don't know. Okay, sorry. I just just say honky truck. Unrelated. So steering back toward (laughs) linting. Love it. Yeah, so 
I think I, I think I finished at least any, anything that I wanted to say on linting. Yeah, I mean, anyone looking for how Chris does it definitely should check out their enterprise boiler, his enterprise boilerplate uh, solution. I've definitely used that before, so we can definitely include that in the show notes. And I, I will so, say, two spaces is also the actual number of spaces. Two spaces. <laughs> because everyone asked. I gotta say, we we actually probably should have an episode on linting. I think that would be actually pretty. Yeah, but if if. Fun. Really, if, uh, if you've been offended by anything that I've said today, just send a response to at gloomy loomy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be happy to hear all, all of your comments. <laughs> just kidding. I, I shouldn't take advantage of that with, with Ari not here to defend herself. That, that's, that's Ari's Twitter handle. Yeah. But she'd love to hear from you, I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay, so we were talking about the unofficial view plugins, but then back to the official view plugins, is that would that include something like View Router or Vuex? Do those go into that category of View CLI plugins? Yeah, the, yeah, those are official. So you could just run View Add Vuex, and it would add Vuex to your project, and View Add View Router and add View Router to your project. So the funny thing about view router is it's view add router because I made that mistake a couple okay. times. Yeah. But <laughs> okay, yep, cool. it's just that easy. easy. And then it sets, it sets up the router.js for you. And like and that's just it, right? If you were to set up view router on your own, you'd have to npm install, create yeah. like a file. Like the plugin does all that for you. and it's Which so is how great. I've been doing it in the past. And so <laughs> you can do that after you've already created the project. So you view create, yes. blah, blah, and then view add whatever you want to add. Yeah, and it scaffolds things for you. So yeah. I would say, actually, the one danger to scaffolding, which I don't know, Chris, if you've run into, but if you don't commit the code you're changing and then you run a view ad, it'll actually override certain files because it's trying to set up a scaffold. So you could like lose changes as a result. Mm. So you, I would make sure you're on a clean commit. I don't know, if Chris, if you have... Yeah, that's, that's great advice. Yeah, if you're going to view ad, definitely start from a clean commit. <laughs> I have had Good the plugin override my stuff before. <laughs> Cool. Should we move on to picks? Sounds good to me. Sweet. All right. Uh, well, looks like I'm first up this time. Okay. So I got, two, I got two picks for this week. The first of which is Pokemon Sword. You know, with 20, this is our first episode recording in 2020. And so it only felt apt to start my new Pokemon journey. So I, I, I chose the Firestarter for those who are wondering. And then for my second pick... There's a great uh, bit uh, by James Corbin uh, on The Late Late Show where he and Harry Styles, they do a crosswalk concert where basically like Harry Styles, like all like the band, like in the middle of an intersection will go and like perform a song before it changes, like the traffic light changes and then they have to like rush off. And so it's actually a pretty funny bit that they do. So for anyone who's interested in that kind of stuff, it's pretty, pretty entertaining. So that's my second pick for the week. All right. I'm up next. Okay. I only have one pick. This is a song on SoundCloud. It's like some super like indie exclusive music that like I was into before it's cool. So I just want to let you know how cool I am before I, I share this with you. And then it gets like really big and then everybody's just like all over it. I just want to know like I was like I was I was in there pretty early, like before they went like before they sold out. What's uh, the song called? The song is called Time to Grow by Hope and Jesse. And there'll be a, a link to that in the, the show notes. And it is just like a hauntingly beautiful song with like wonderful harmonies, like the, the chorus especially, I, I really, really love. And it happens to be 
like one of the one of the people singing this song is also a view developer. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Yeah. Did you say it's beautiful? It's beautiful. <laughs> it sounds Wonderful. beautiful. Beautifully haunting. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, seriously, listen. I, I, I probably listened to it like 60 times at this point. Ah, wonderful. This is it's the so one good. that you sent us before, right? Because if it is, yeah. I can verify it is, it is beautiful. Yeah. Yes, I can. I, I third that. Yeah. <laughs> so my pick is a uh, show I was watching on Hulu called Castle Rock. And it's scary. It's a horror series so if you get scared easily or you don't want to watch that kind of thing then don't watch it but it's produced by Stephen King and based off his stories and it is so good and just so complex and interesting and it's one of those things where afterwards I had to go on Wikipedia and read the whole the whole plot and <laughs> like but the amount of interest I had in the show doubled after reading all of the stuff that I missed because I clearly like a lot of it went over my head but it was so good and I can't wait to start season two so that's my pick Oh, I actually have one more pick. Can I, can I still oh. do it? Yeah, of course. Okay, so Katie and I, like my, my wife and I have been watching The Witcher on Netflix. Mm. Which, I like, to watch that recently. I, I, played, I played The Witcher games and, and I was into them, especially The Witcher 3, which is like a masterpiece. But I wasn't really excited about the show. Like I figured, like you know, I I enjoyed the game because I like like being in that world and participating in it. But like I'm, you know, and the game was really well made. But like I'm I'm not so into like the world itself. But this is like some Game of Thrones level like stuff. It's it's super super good. And like not only are the the, the characters really interesting and like the the acting is fantastic, but the the fight scenes are so well choreographed. This is like some of the most beautiful fight scenes that I've ever seen. And apparently, Henry Henry Cavill, the person who plays Geralt, who is the Witcher in The Witcher, like tried to like like, like studied dance and like because he he looked back and he I guess saw in one interview he said that like a lot of like famous sword fighters were actually taught dance before they were taught how to use a sword. It's all about footwork. And then he, he basically just like dances with the blade. It's it's so awesome. Ah, oh, wow. It's so cool. But also there's some like gory bits. So, you know, you can close your eyes sometimes if it's too much. And that's it. Sweet. That description made me actually really want to watch it. <laughs> I would like to see Henry Cavill dancing with a sword. He is also a beautiful, beautiful man. And there's a lot of uh, shirtless... Henry Cavill in there. So <laughs> if that's your thing. All right, Ben, would you like to take All us right. out? <laughs> on that note. <laughs> on that note. I, I see everyone's a little bit distracted now. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're all, we're all Googling. Just thinking Henry about Cavill. that image, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and on that wonderful note, thanks for listening today. And as always, we hope you enjoy the view. Wait. Hold up, I screwed that up. <laughs> that was our ending again. Nope, perfect take. That's it. Goodbye, everybody. <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Linode today by going to linode.com view.